don't know about you, but I enjoy nature shows. You ever watch those? Um, I used to watch them a lot more than I do now. For some strange reason, Katie, my wife, doesn't like seeing animals get eaten. And so uh, we, I don't watch that much anymore. But if, if you've seen those shows, there's the classic scene. A pride of lions spies out a herd of gazelle. The chase ensues. The strong gazelles, they easily get away. But the weak and often the young end up being the ones that get eaten. So sad. Watch little babies getting eaten by the big lions. When, um, when Redeemer Bible Church was two years old, I pictured us like one of those young toddler gazelles, excited about the future, full of life, but also slow, vulnerable, oblivious. Our enemy prowls around like what? Like a roaring lion, right? And so seeking people to devour. And there we were, oblivious to the danger we were in because we were so young, weak, exposed, There are lots of solid believers that joined us during that time, but this was also when a string of false teachers tried to gain a foothold into our church. So one one guy came in, wanted to be a a small group leader, but it came up really quickly that he denied the Trinity. He uh, said the Holy Spirit was not a person, that, that, that it's not a Trinity, it's a binity. Okay, another thought that we were idiots for teaching the inerrancy of scripture, that God's word has no errors in it because it is God's word coming from God himself. Another one would taught that polygamy was okay. And so uh, I wonder what he was, I wonder what's going on in his private life. On and on and on. Also during this time, this was what weird people, defiant people, me monster people, tried to integrate themselves into the life of the church, and, uh, and some of them actually succeeded. See, if we didn't have discernment about people, if we didn't know what to look for and what to look out for in the people that were coming, we would be in trouble. And the reason is, like, why, why would we be in trouble? Well, the answer is because we wanted to grow. We didn't want to die. We, we, were, we were turning around. We were, this dying church was beginning to turn around, and we didn't want to die, so we needed people. But because of that, we assumed the best and chose to trust everybody. Because what we did was we thought everybody's like us. Everybody's like me. Kind, loving, believing the best, choosing to trust. That's how everyone's going to be like me. However, what we needed was a heavy dose of wisdom because it was our lack of discernment that led to a lot of wasted time, a lot of pain, and a lot of frustration. Now, why do I talk about Redeemer Bible Church from, you know, seven years ago? Well, because you're two years old now. Providence Baptist Church become, turns three in August. At, in that time, in this, in this period of time, you've gone from 15 people to somewhere around 100 people that would call this their home church. There's life, there's a buzz, there's excitement, there's growing friendships, but there's also the integration of new people into established relationships. That's needed. There, there are more opportunities to connect and minister and teach and influence and lead here with, with more of all of that coming in the not so distant future. And for many people out there, bad people, you're the wheat gazelle. You're, you're blood in the water. Now it's, it's not just how old your church is that makes you vulnerable, but you're also vulnerable because of a lie that Christians believe. A lie that, if not confronted, can make you even more vulnerable as a young toddler church. I think it's very possible that you are vulnerable in the area of relationships. Why? Because as Christians, 
we tend to be more loving than we are discerning. And, and that's often because of a lie that we believe, namely that God wants us to treat every single person that we come across exactly the same. That is with full acceptance and, and trust. However, this is a lie. Now, if it doesn't feel like what I just said is a lie, that's just remember the message of the Bible is a left-handed message in a right-handed world. And that's why this lie makes sense to us. It feels right. I should treat everybody equally with full acceptance and trust. It sounds right. And so that lie convinces us and that's why it spreads. But if that's the lie, then what's the truth? The truth is this, treat different people differently. Treat different people differently. I know that sounds counter-Christian. I know for many of you that might not feel right, but that's okay. You shouldn't trust your feelings on this one because the statement is actually true. I'm going to prove it from God's word. I know treating people differently, different people differently sounds like discrimination. And guess what? It is. But not all discrimination is bad. If two people asked to watch your kids, if you had kids, if two people asked if they could watch your kids, one is grandma and one is a man that you don't know. What are you going to do? Treat everybody the same? No, you're going to discriminate. Of course you're going to discriminate. That is actually a wise thing to do, discriminate in that moment. Now, of course, as Christians, we're supposed to love everybody. But listen, love is going to look differently for different kinds of people. The key in these words is different kinds of people. There are kinds of people according to the Bible. Now, what kinds of people does the Bible talk about? Well, the Bible talks about all kinds of people, saved people and lost people, true teachers and false teachers. And Proverbs describes three kinds of people that all of us need to know really well. Now, before we look at at that, we need to talk briefly about the book of Proverbs. It might be my favorite book in the Bible. I don't know about you, but I've taught through this book twice from beginning to end. I just love this book. And for the most part, Proverbs is not about salvation issues. It's about everyday life kind of issues by the one giving us wisdom, the one who created life itself. Everyday life kind of issues. Proverbs is about wisdom. And maybe you've heard teachers say that wisdom is the application of knowledge, and that's true, but it's more than that. Wisdom knows what knowledge to apply in what situation. In other words, wisdom is the skill to live your life, to make decisions, to interact with people. It's the skill to live your life in a way that your everyday life is a success. So for example, don't put all your eggs in one basket. That's a proverb. That's not a biblical proverb, but it's a general statement of wisdom. It gives a skill that is helpful when applied to a lot of areas of life, like like investing, have a backup plan, don't put all your money in one place, spread it out, diversify all of that. However, application and context is key. What do I mean by that? Well, if your best man or your maid of honor came to you on your wedding day and said, hey, piece of wisdom for you, don't put all your eggs in one basket, that's not wise, Right? That's a piece of wisdom, but the context is significant. It's important. So Proverbs is a book full of skills. And those skills help us live a good life, a life that God looks at, sees, and smiles at, which is the true definition of success. God looking at your life and going, that's right. That's good. That's the way you should do it. Now, our world also has a way 
that says, this is how you learn how to live the good life. Here's how you live a successful life. You know how the world tells you how to live a successful life? It's a very short three-word phrase. Here's how you learn how to live a good life according to the world. You ready? Live and learn, right? Live and learn. Translation, make mistakes, learn from them, don't do them again. Lots of pain and failure can lead to a lot of wisdom. Hmm. Well, do we learn that way? Yeah, we actually do. But Proverbs says, wouldn't you rather avoid all the pain and still be wise? Wouldn't that be better? Is that even possible? It sure is. Instead of live and learn, the good life can be had when we learn the Proverbs and then live what we learn in the Proverbs. It's not live and learn, it's learn and then live. Specifically, learn what Proverbs says, specifically learn what God's word says in general. So this message from Proverbs is a relational skill. It'll be applicable to every area of your life where you interact with other people. So marriage, dating, family, school, work, all of those places. In other words, if you have friends, you should pay attention. If you're dating and you hope to be married someday, you're going to want to pay very close attention. If you're a parent and you're concerned about the kind of person uh, your child is going to be, is becoming or the kinds of friends that he or she is surrounding themselves with, then you're going to want to pay attention. If you're leading a team or if you're part of a team that works together, you're going to want to pay attention too. In fact, you're probably going to learn why there's conflict, why that team that you're on or that relationship that you're in isn't all that effective. One word of caution though, okay? This is so Christian-y to do, okay? So before you think about something applying to others, apply it to yourself. Right here. Point here before, before you point over there. No L-shaped amens. Do you know what an L-shaped amen is? It's when you say amen to something, but you're saying it because you're thinking about the other person that needed to hear that. So it comes to you and it goes right over to them. L-shaped amen. No, instead of the L-shaped amen, it's the amen I needed to hear that. Okay? Now, I'm talking about this today because if you don't have these skills, your church may never be weak theologically. I don't think it'll ever be weak theologically, but you will be weak relationally. And that makes you very vulnerable to Satan, the roaring lion who would love to devour and close this church. We all need relational wisdom. And the wisdom we need starts with admitting that Proverbs is right. There are different kinds of people in the world and we should treat each one differently. And Proverbs tells us there are three kinds of people, the wise, the foolish, and the evil. The wise, the foolish, and the evil, meaning why do we treat some people differently than others? It's not age, it's not race, it's not whether or not we click with them. We treat different people differently based on their character. Now, I'd like to tell you that everybody fits nicely into those three categories, but we don't. All of us have some areas of, of wisdom, uh, foolishness, and even evil in our lives. Some people, though, make a habit. They, they uh, are characterized by one or the other because of, their, because of their character. So someone may be very wise when it comes to finance, a fool when it comes to marriage, and evil when it comes to business. 
Okay, so we can, we can have more or less in all of these areas, but by God's grace, the more we're exposed to his word and we live what we learn, the wiser, more discerning he is making us. One author put it this way, he said, all of us have all three, it's just some tend to make a career out of one of them. Well, Proverbs gives us tests to see which one people are making a career of. And can you guess how Proverbs helps us differentiate the wise from the fool and the evil? What is it that separates them? Well, to make this message, I looked at every verse in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes on the wise person, every verse in those books on the foolish person, and every verse on the evil or wicked person. And I was fascinated to learn that there is one test that comes up over and over again to differentiate these kinds of people. Can you guess what it is? It's this. How does a person respond to truth? How, what do they do when they are confronted with reality? How do they react? In other words, when a person responds in a certain way, they categorize themselves as wise or foolish or evil. Wouldn't that have been nice to know in high school or college? Wouldn't that have been great? And once they categorize themselves, Proverbs tells you how to treat them, how to love them, how to walk with them, and, and, and how, what, what to do with them. So let's start with the category Proverbs actually says the least about the wise person. See, we all think that, we, that this is the category we belong in, but let's let Proverbs tell us this, okay? Now, I'm not going to give you the verses for all of this, but if you go to BibleGateway.com and type in wise and, and narrow your search down to Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, you will find everything I'm about to say. I'm going to summarize what the Proverbs says and Ecclesiastes says about the wise person. First, wise people are humble. Proverbs 11.2 says, with the humble is wisdom. So instead of being self-destructive and harming others, they are self-controlled. They are emotionally calm, cool, and collected, even under pressure. They don't blow up. They don't explode. These are the peacemakers. They diffuse tense situations rather than pouring gasoline on them and making them worse. Ecclesiastes is clear that their lives aren't perfect with no trials, but they are people of substance who in general, they turn away from evil. In general, they are a help and a joy to be around, especially those in their closest relationships, their family relationships. You can see that in Proverbs 14.1, Proverbs 23.15, and Proverbs 27.11. Now remember, before examining others, do what? Examine yourself. Now, if you're taking notes, the thing Proverbs teaches us about a wise person is this point. Number one, wise people embrace correction and change. I want to summarize what the, what the Bible says, the Proverbs says about wise people is they embrace correction and actually change. So when correction comes, they love the messenger. Actually, Proverbs chapter nine, verse eight says that reprove a wise man and he will love you. So when, so when they're, they're confronted with truth, confronted with reality, correction comes, they love the messenger. Their response to correction and rebuke is, thank you. Gratitude to others and to God. Proverbs 3, 11 and 12 says, My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him who he loves as a father, the son in whom he delights. 
There's a connection between love and correction. The wise person knows that that connection. And so despite the pain or embarrassment that correction causes, the wise person is grateful. Proverbs 10, 8 says, the wise of heart will receive commandments. Proverbs 12, 15 says, a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 13, 10 says, with those who take advice is wisdom. More than that, a wise person loves the person correcting them. Again, Proverbs 9, 8, reprove a wise man and he will love you. He doesn't get angry and push him away, just the opposite. He pulls that person closer and says, I love you, I need you in my life. And by being humble and embracing biblical correction, the wise person actually grows wiser. Proverbs 9, 9 says, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man and he will increase in learning. So a wise person, when they hear the truth, they embrace it because they're teachable and they are teachable because they are humble. They aren't convinced uh, they see the world correctly and everyone else doesn't. They admit mistakes, they own their sin because they are humble. They know there is no growth without confession. They wanna know where they're off so that they can change. They're grateful when someone has the kindness and the courage to tell them the truth. They don't want to be saddled with bad character. They're open to correction because mistakes are opportunities to get better. They think it'd be foolish for them not to listen because they want to have a good life. And they know that that is the pathway to good life. Correction, owning it, change. So they make a mistake, someone corrects them, and they're grateful. They change, their life gets better. Coaching, coaching them is a, correcting them is a joy. There's a return on investment. I remember sitting in a small group of guys and we were, we were pastors and we were, we were all talking and he said, and, and, and one guy said to another guy, hey, I, could, could, I, could I push back on that a little bit? And the guy leaned in and said, yeah, give me a gift. Give me a gift. He understood that correction, change, confrontation was going to be a gift to him. This is the kind of person that you should let into your life and you should let them in close and you should keep them there if you can. Wise people distance themselves from not wise people as we will see shortly. Wise people are a source, summarizing Proverbs again, wise people are a source of love and faithfulness. They're a source of blessing. They're a source of knowledge and strength and stability and health. They look out for others. They consider others' feelings. This is the kind of person you want to marry. Remember, examine yourself before you examine others. These are the kinds of people you should go to advice for. These are the kinds of people you should have influencing your views on everything. This is the kind of person you want to hire. This is the kind of friend you want to have. This is the kind of child you want to raise. This is the kind of person you want to marry. This is the kind of, of, uh, of person that you want leading in a church. So these are the kinds of people you want as elders and ministry leaders and small group leaders. And I want all, I want all of you to take these criteria, not only to become these people, but also to be able to spot this behavior 
so that you can celebrate it and so you can bring it close to your life. You probably already know in this church who the wise people are because they're the ones that people go to for what? For advice and counsel. Wise people embrace correction and then they change. So have you made a career of that? What does Proverbs tell you about yourself in this point? Are you wise? If that's not your career, I'm sorry, but you belong with Proverbs, maybe person number two, which is the fool. So my research, it seems that about twice as much is said about the fool as is said about the wise in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. God God really doesn't want us to be fools or to put fools in our lives. So if we could minimize our exposure to fools, that would help us live a good life. That's what Proverbs is about. Make no mistake, the heroes of our world, the spirit of our age will be found in this description. But remember, examine yourself before you examine others. And I guess the first thing we need to know is that God takes no pleasure in fools, Ecclesiastes 5.4, and promises to punish them, Psalms 74.22. Why? Because a fool is arrogant. So I'm going to summarize the Bible's teaching on the fool now. The fool is arrogant, exalting himself, and is always right. Which means rather than changing, they think other people need to change for them. A fool is dominated by self, especially his feelings, Proverbs 29, 11, and especially trusting himself, making him irresponsible, unteachable, and an excuse factory. Talks a lot, Ecclesiastes 10, 14. He loves giving his opinions. And when he does, he has no filter. He just says what he thinks. If it's malicious, if it's gossip or slander, they don't necessarily intend to harm people because Ecclesiastes 5.1 says the fool doesn't always know that he's doing evil. They're kind of oblivious sometimes. They're hot-headed, given to anger, often fighting with those around them, escalating conflict, pouring gasoline on the, on the conflict, making bad situations even worse. They love to have fun, Ecclesiastes 7.4, so they can be the life of the party, but they're the kind of people that, that don't get hired uh, for jobs when those jobs go look at their social media. <laughs> they, they realize, oh, wait a minute, I probably shouldn't put all that foolish stuff on there. Why? Because according to Proverbs 12, 23, they proclaim their foolishness to others without shame. They're proud of it. They're energized by it. They repeat it and they show others how to be fools as well because nothing is better than being foolish with somebody else who's also foolish. Proverbs warns fools cannot be trusted. They cause those closest to them sorrow and grief. And they can actually ruin those who are closest to them. Proverbs 19, 13. At his core, the the fool is stubborn and hard-hearted, which I think explains what's most often said about the fool in Proverbs. So what Proverbs says most about a fool is also the main test for a fool. And it's this point number two, foolish people reject correction and suffer. Foolish people reject correction and suffer. Instead of saying thank you when corrected, the fool shoots the messenger and says, no, thank you. And they can push back with negative things about the person blessing them with correction rather than asking themselves, is this what? Is this true? 
The characteristic most said about the fool is that they do not listen to correction. Proverbs 13, 1, Proverbs 15, 12, Proverbs 17, 10. And really, why would they listen? Proverbs 12, 15 says a fool is, quote, right in his own eyes. Their interpretation of reality is to be trusted and no one else's, nobody else's, no matter how wise that person is. Proverbs 15, 12 says a fool avoids those who correct them. Oh, they, they know this person is going to correct me. I'm going to, I'm going to peace out. I'm going to get out of here. Proverbs 28, uh, 28, 26, a fool quote, trusts in his own heart. Sorry, Disney. He hates wisdom, instruction, and knowledge. It finds no joy in understanding. It's useless to him probably because they don't, they don't see personal growth as all that fun. That's uncomfortable for me. I don't like it. I feel conviction. I don't like that. So as a result, though they'll say otherwise, in reality, they're not interested in improving. They get defensive. They refuse to admit mistakes. The problem is somebody else's, not whose, not theirs. Instead of making new mistakes because they're improving, the fool makes the same mistakes over and over again because the fool is never what? It's never wrong. You're tracking. Maybe you know these people. Because their life is marked by ruin and failure, Proverbs 20 verse 1 says they often turn to alcohol. The most likely future for the fool, according to Proverbs, is ruin and destruction. And when fully grown, foolishness can even kill, Proverbs 10, 21. This is why Proverbs says, don't argue with the fool. Don't, don't rebuke or correct them unless you like insults. Proverbs 23, 9 says, there are times when you shouldn't even speak to a fool because they will hate you and they will hate your words. Most often, Proverbs says to punish the fool, even physically if possible. That's Proverbs 14, 3, 19, 25, 19, 29, 21, 11, 26, 3, 27, 22. So Proverbs really wants you to understand the way to get at a fool is not to talk to them. It is to punish them. This is a protection for them and a protection for others. If, if that fails, Proverbs 22.10 says you should remove them from your life. Again, if possible. So if Proverbs just described your spouse or your child or a family member, a coworker, the person you're dating. In some of those situations, removal may not be possible, but discipline might be. Boundaries, consequences, limited exposure to you may be the answer. They shouldn't be in trusted positions in your life or in your business. If it's an employee after discipline and consequences, you should help them find a new job. If it's an employer, trust God and find a new job. In church, fools can get into positions of leadership because of their personalities and because they can be smart in some areas. However, foolish behavior is gossip, slander, quarreling, uh, quarreling, a quick temper, deflecting correction, refusing to change, turning to alcohol as a, is all proof that Proverbs gives that a person is a fool, regardless of their Bible knowledge, regardless of their theology, regardless of their experience. When they're corrected, and if it's not received, if that's a pattern, if that's their career, like we talked about before, then that's when you, you let a pastor know. Like Jesus, be loving to everybody, but different kinds of people get different kinds of love. 
One author put it this way. He said, ask them, what can I say or do that will get results with you? Then ask them, what should be the consequences if you don't change? There is hope for the fool. And, and you may be that hope in their lives. Proverbs twenty two fifteen says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline drives it far from him. A, a fool can change, but they don't change just because they are given truth. That's the wise person. If they, if they changed when they were given truth, they, then they would be wise. Fools change when they have to camp out in and feel the truth when the pain of not changing is greater than the pain of changing. Now we are all foolish and need wisdom in many areas of our lives. So does Proverbs say anything about how to get more wisdom? It does. But remember, fools refuse to change and are probably mad right now because they think I'm picking on them personally. But here's the thing. It's easy for me to tell you how to grow in wisdom, but it's hard to pull it off, especially for fools because they don't, they don't want to listen, but here we go anyway. Number one, wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord. If you're like me who wondered what that means, and if you got definitions like reverence, but wondered, well, what does that look like in real life? The fear of God is this. Let me make it as simple as possible. This is the way that helped me kind of figure out this is what the fear of God is. It's living your life knowing God is watching. That's what the fear of God is. It's fearing, it's, it's living your life knowing God is watching. And like Paul in 2 Corinthians 5, 9, you make it your life's goal to be pleasing to him. That's what it means to fear God. He's watching. My life goal is not that others are, are, are watching me or my family or my friends or my culture or anybody else. I care that God is watching me. No one is wise without fearing God. Second, you have to want wisdom. So it starts with the fear of the Lord. Second, it starts with a desire to be wise. You, you have to want to be wise. The first nine chapters of Proverbs are 14 different sermons, all with the same point. Get wisdom. Once you say, I want wisdom, I need to have wisdom, then chapters 10 to 31, that's the wisdom to get. So Proverbs says, get it, buy it listen to it, love it, and spend time with wisdom because it's better than gold, better than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with wisdom, Proverbs 3.15. So you've got to fear the Lord. You've got to want it. Third, Proverbs 2.6 says the Lord gives wisdom. So you pray for wisdom. You ask God for wisdom. You beg him for wisdom. It's James 1.5, pray for wisdom. And then number four, Psalm 19.7 says, the Bible is sure making wise people out of not wise people. So how do you become wise? If you're going, you know what, I've got a lot of foolishness in my life and it's just kind of pegged me and it feels uncomfortable. One, learn to fear God. Two, get wisdom. Three, pray for it. Four, study your Bible and you will become wise. Fools reject correction and they suffer. So have you made a career of that? If, you've ha if you have, then you've probably had a hard life. If you do, you probably are having a hard life right now. So please reconsider, please, for the people around you, for the people in your small groups, people at your job, maybe people in your home even, please embrace correction. Please pray for wisdom. 
And if neither really describes you all that well, I'm really glad you're here, but you're going to hate me because that means you belong in Proverbs third category, which is the evil, wicked person. In my research, about twice as much is said about the evil person in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes than the fool. So God is saying, you really need to watch out for these people. So don't be so loving and accepting that you're naive. Evil people don't just exist in movies. They're real. God tells a lot about them in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes because we need to be on guard for them if we're going to have a good life. You bring evil people close to you, you are in trouble. Here's a summary of Proverbs and Ecclesiastes on the evil person, okay? Evil people don't fear God. They do not live like he is watching They are practical atheists. They will actually use religion and even appear religious, but they do so for evil reasons. Like fools, they are prideful and arrogant, but unlike fools, they desire evil. They come up with wicked schemes and they enjoy doing it. So their conviction is fake. Their conviction does not really exist. They know how to put on the show, but really by their actions, their evil actions, their evil schemes, you know, wait a minute, there's something not right here. When they talk, they can encourage apostasy. So they, they are false teachers. They have crooked speech. Now, what does that mean? It means they do things like starting and spreading rumors, gossip, slander, and lies, and they know they're doing it. Unlike the fool, they know they're doing it. They also feed on the speech of others who who also speak in evil, wicked ways. In community, they don't really like the good people, the wise people. They lead people away from God and what's good. They cause fights. They breed hatred. They plan ways to harm people. They show no mercy. They seem to love fools who they use and exploit for their own gain. At his core, the evil person has what Proverbs calls a perverted heart, which comes from a word that means to overthrow. They want to defeat God. They want to defeat all that's good. They want to defeat anyone who stands in their way. So how should we treat the evil person? How do we love them? Point number three, evil people should be removed not corrected. Evil people should be removed, not corrected. Proverbs doesn't say reprove them unless you're absolutely convinced that you should. If corrected, the evil person wants to destroy the messenger. So the wise person is corrected and says what? Thank you. The fool is corrected and says what? No, thank you. The evil person is corrected and says I'll get you. I'll take you down. One author put it this way, with evil people, it's LGM, lawyers, guns, and money. I had, a, I had friends like this in high school and college. My chooser was broken back in the day. And they didn't just mad, get mad at people. They got what? They got even. And it was final when they got even. The hope is that the evil, wicked person will what? will repent, that they will fear God. This is hopeless, however, apart from God graciously breaking into their lives. The key is only God can help them. Let me say that again. If the evil person, if the person I'm describing right now matches you or matches somebody that you know, 
You have to understand only God can help them, which means what? It means that you can't. So you give them nothing. Proverbs says, don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Don't show weakness or fear. Don't let me back up. Proverbs says, don't give them the benefit of the doubt. Proverbs 18.5. Don't show weakness or fear. Proverbs 25.26. Move quickly, Ecclesiastes 8.11. Move quickly to punish. Um, Proverbs 20, verse 30. Move quickly to defeat. Proverbs 21.12. And move quickly to remove them. Proverbs 25.5. Proverbs 21, 15 says they are terrified of justice. So give them justice. If you married this person, contact one of the elders. If this is your child, put them in jail. Do not enable them. Do not help them. Do not give in to them. If this is your employee, remember, lawyers, guns, and money. This is what's coming. You're going to need a lawyer to protect you. You're going to need guns to protect you. You're going to need money to protect you from this person. The goal with evil people is no exposure. It's self-protection because they want to destroy you. And because their wickedness is going to boomerang back on them, according to Proverbs 11, 5, 11, 27, 28, 10, and 29, 6, their, their, their evil is going to boomerang back on them. And so you need to give them the space to do that away from you. Destruction, hatred, defeat, shame, disgrace, and confusion are going to be their future. So run away from them. Destruction, Proverbs 10, 29. Hatred, Proverbs 14, 17. Defeat, Proverbs 11, 11, 12, 7, 13, 6, 14, 32. Shame and disgrace, Proverbs 13, 5. Confusion, Proverbs 14, 19 will be their future. So again, I'm summarizing what Proverbs says. Without taking you to each verse, we'd be here all day. Why is this your, their future? And why should you run away from them? Because Proverbs says God watches them. His eye is on them. He hates their thoughts, Proverbs 15, 27. He hates their lives, Proverbs 15, 9. He hates their religious activity, Proverbs 15, 8 and 21, 27. He curses them, Proverbs 3, 33. Condemns them, Proverbs 12, 2. Judges them, Ecclesiastes 3, 17. And punishes them, Proverbs 11, 20. One. It is just one of the basic laws of the universe, Galatians 6, 7. God is not mocked. Whatever a person sows, so he will reap. So whatever you plant in the ground, that is what is going to come up. So in, in marriage counseling, I often say this to people. I say, so after they describe their marriage, I say, if we, let's picture your marriage like a garden what is the fruit coming out of the, out of the ground of your marriage? That's because that was planted in the ground of your marriage. So if they, if, if the, whatever a person sows, that he will also reap. So you plant evil, you get evil. And when God comes after them, you want to be far, far away from them. In other words, this message has a lot of bad news for the fool and the evil. Proverbs exposes us for who we are, not who we hope we are or who other people might think that we are. And if you've heard a little bit too much about yourself and the description of the fool or the wicked, that is a gift of God's grace to you. Now, I know the fool and the wicked don't want correction, but I'm trying to plead with you, if that's you, this is, this is evidence of God's grace to you that you're here and you're watch, or you're watching this. 
He's showing you who you are, not to make you angry, but to humble you so you would repent. To, to the foolish, Jesus speaks mercy, Titus 3.3. 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. There is mercy for foolish people. So repent. And to the evil person, Jesus speaks friendship. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Luke 6.35 says, God is, quote, kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. So come to him for repentance, for forgiveness. Now, I spoke on this today so that we would all grow in discernment. Without this wisdom, we are vulnerable personally. We're vulnerable relationally in our families, at our jobs, and even here in a two-year-old church. So I wanted, to, I wanted to give you that while I was here. Proverbs helps us identify the kinds of people that you're interacting with at work, at school, in your personal lives, and here at church so that you know how to treat each one of them. In other words, putting this all together, does, does God want you to correct an evil person? The answer is no, he doesn't. He wants you to remove them, get far away from them. Let them change somewhere else. That is loving. Put it all together. Should you correct a fool? Answer is no. You don't correct the fool. You discipline them, even punish them with the hopes that they will learn through pain and change. That's loving. And should you punish the wise person? No. You should correct them, even rebuke them, depending on their mistake. They, they will love you and they will change. They will change for the better. See, wisdom gives us skill today. It gives us, it gives us a skill in how to, it, it's, it's not just, see, see, we read the Proverbs and we, we, we apply it to ourselves often, but what it's doing is it's giving you a grid to look out at the world and go, who are the kinds of people that I should bring close? Who are the people that I should have at arm's distance? And who are the ones that I should send as far away as possible? Why? Because it wants to protect you. God, the author of life is saying, here, let me give you some skills. Let me give you some ways to interact with other people that are gonna help you in your life. Have a life that God looks at and says, that's right, that's good. But you surround yourself with fools and you're like, I don't understand why my life is so hard. Well, you got fools everywhere. Or if you are the fool, then that's why things are so difficult for you. If you're the evil person and you're wondering like, why, why don't I have any friends? It's because you're evil. Because you use people. It's because you, you, you take advantage of them. 
So the, the skill that we learned today is summarized in the statement that I, that I talked about at the beginning, which is this, treat different kinds of people differently. Do that and you will have a good life. Do that and you will be protected. Do that and this church will be protected. Without this wisdom, Proverbs is clear that we are in danger from fools and wolves who will influence us personally, who will seek to influence this church spiritually. So examine yourself, be discerning, and treat people based on their character. Do that and you will have a good life. Do that, your church will be less vulnerable as a, as a toddler. I have a two-year-old toddler. I have to protect them from everything, him, him from everything, especially his brothers and sisters. But it, I find it helpful. I found it helpful to look out at our church at two years old and go, we're just a toddler right now, which means that we're, we're really vulnerable, which means that we don't, we're, we're not what we used to be, but we're not what we're going to be. And if I'm vulnerable as a toddler, then I need to protect my toddler from all kinds of people and situations. And that's why I preached this message when we were two years old. Because it was, we're never going to be, we're never going to be um, weak theologically. Though I mean, we're, 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 we, we care so deeply about that. But often we can be all book of Romans and no book of Proverbs. And we need both. And you need both. Not just for your own personal life. I hope this message was helpful for your personal lives. But it's also helpful for your corporate life together. Let's pray. Father, these are truths that we need. The more I study Proverbs, the more I realize how foolish I am. So help me to fear you. Help me to seek wisdom. Help me to pray for wisdom. Help me as I study your word to grow in wisdom. It is discernment that allows us to pull some people close and keep other people at arm's distance and even to keep other people completely out of our lives. Your word tells us how to do that. And we just, we don't know your word. That's the problem. We don't know your word. We don't know your wisdom. So we don't know how to respond. We don't know what to do. And we default to things that are actually lies. Like I should just trust and accept everybody. That's, that's how we live and learn and realize, wait a minute, that's not how I should be. And then we think the problem is Christianity. We love everybody. No, that's, that's, that's not it. The problem is we don't know the Proverbs. So help us, please. Give us wisdom. Give us insight. Give us grace to understand how you would want us to apply these truths to our lives first before we look out at others that we interact with. That would be evidence of your kindness and grace to every single one of us. So help each one of us, please, I pray, for the glory of your name. Amen.